This is Brandon O'Brien from Redeemer City to City. We're talking this week with staff and friends of City to City in the U.S. and around the world as we all try to figure out together how to respond wisely and faithfully to the global COVID-19 pandemic. As of March 15th, churches around the world were advised against or legally prohibited from meeting in person. So one question everybody was asking around the world was, how can we be the church if we can't gather together in person on the weekend? This week, people are asking even more questions as it becomes clear that many of these restrictions against gathering might last several weeks or even longer. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Brandon O'Brien, and I'm talking with Missy Wallace, who's the executive director for the Global Faith and Work Initiative uh, at Redeemer City to City. Missy, thanks for joining us today. Yes, thank you for organizing these podcasts. Yeah, it's been my pleasure and a real encouragement to talk to folks who have a lot of experience in leading the various kinds of ministries that I think have a new relevance and a new urgency in a difficult time like this. So what I'd like to do first, maybe before we kind of jump into a detailed conversation, is start off by telling us how under ordinary circumstances, when the world is you know upright as it should be, what kinds of objectives do faith and work initiatives have? Uh, what kinds of questions are you inviting people to ask, again, in sort of ordinary times? Sure. In ordinary times, I think... Um when people are talking about faith and work initiatives, it's really helping people understand what does the Christian faith have to do with the way they spend a large percentage of their waking hours. And a Gallup poll that was started in 2007 is called What's the Whole Wide World Thinking? And Gallup themselves say that they found the first time they did the poll, which is 100 and um, covers 167 plus countries, both developing and um, developed world. And they say themselves that they found the single largest finding they've ever found in the history of Gallup. And that is what people care about more than even um, love and security is a good job. Hmm. And so um, really I think the faith and work movement and, and a good job can be different. I mean, if you are working on Wall Street, you're, what you believe is a good job may be very different than what somebody in rural India is talking about. And so, um, you know, we could do an entire podcast on what does good job mean. But I think the important thing in the world of faith is that if that, if good job is the single thing that pops the most globally, um, faith and work is really um, an on-ramp to heart change. It's an on-ramp for people processing what they've got going on day to day in their world. Um, And so it's a a real place to look at the heart and idolatries, but it's also a place to think about how you're impacting the community around you, who you are as a servant of God in community, as well as the world. And so how does your work, how does your industry impacts the world and how can your work and your industry be part of God's unfolding plan for the world. And so if you really think about heart community world, um, that is what faith and work um, movement is, is talking about before the Corona crisis. And I really think people understanding that they were created to work, work's not punishment. They were created by God to work. We could do a whole podcast on that. (laughs) 
but work is broken and systems are broken. Right. And I think we are seeing today what happens when something systemic impacts work. Um, yet we are called to be the vice regents of Jesus, to be part of God's unfolding story, to be part of um, partnering with his work to bring heaven on earth and be part of that story. And so that's what the faith and work movement is about in regular times. And honestly, I think it's about that in Corona times too. Everything just might be amped up a little bit. Hmm. Yeah. So I think this discussion about faith and work is, is, is as you say, it's always relevant. It's, uh, it's especially relevant now, or it's, it's maybe on the minds of people who are not thinking about it a week ago or two weeks ago. But uh, you know, any data that we use in this conversation today will be out of date pretty soon because things are moving and changing very quickly. But uh, I saw a headline uh, in the last couple of days that in the United States already, something like 20% of households have already been affected by layoffs or reduction of hours, you know, et cetera, related to um, the vast sort of uh, industry-wide shutdowns of things like restaurants and hospitality and you know other things. Um, and so we are in a in a moment where uh, work and finances are in people's minds immediately, but there's also a lot of conversation about long term, what the you know, the effects of these shutdowns will be in various industries and what will recover, won't re what won't recover, you know, et cetera. And so I'm wondering, uh, you've alluded to things that have, uh, haven't changed uh, or shouldn't change in faith and work discussions. I'm curious what things maybe take on a new relevance or, um, you know, how, how has, how is what's happening now uh, how does it need to change the conversation or maybe shift the emphases or something in the way we talk about the relationship of our faith and work? You know, I think right now the faith and work conversation could end up becoming more relevant because everyone's work is changing. And most people react to change with a sense of discomfort, um, with a sense of um, unknown and anxiety and work is changing for lots of people. And I've really been spending the last 24 to 48 hours trying to think about how work is changing. Because if we just assume the changes are impacting everyone the same, then I think we could make some gaffes in how we minister to them or some mistakes in how we minister to them. And so, I, you know, I think there's a group of people who have too much work. Because of what's going on with coronavirus, um, you know, a nurse, a nurse has too much work right now, perhaps. Um, the people working on the line um, at the manufacturing plants making the hospital masks mm. or the hand sanitizer, they have too much work right now. We have some people who have not enough work. If you think about, um, you know, the people that worked concession stands for NBA basketball games. They have not enough work now. Right. Then we have on top of it, so we have different volumes of work. Then we have um, people having to rethink their work. And so you think about a teacher, in theory, has the same amount of work, but now she's got to rethink how to deliver her classroom lessons through um, some kind of online mechanism, mm -hmm. or through send-home packets rather than in the classroom. And then we've got the logistical issues changing for some workers. So we've got a large amount of people working from home. 
um, while kids are at home. And so the, there's all these logistical issues around work. So I've been trying to think through how to, how to simplify and think through, is there any, is there any way to think about different buckets of, of people's changing work experience and therefore what some of their, you know, presenting needs might be? Yeah. Yeah. What have you come up with? Um, and it's very much a work in process and I don't think it necessarily accounts for all the nuances. Um, and it perhaps has more of a Western mindset than an Eastern mindset. But I, I've, I've been thinking about buckets in terms of how much socioeconomic flexibility and power does someone have versus how much is their routine model changing? And so if you take someone who has a high amount of socioeconomic flexibility and tends to have a good amount of agency in their work, um, their workplace thinking or their workplace choices, um, and then you think their routine model perhaps is not changing that much, but the volume has gone up radically. So maybe a hospital administrator, maybe the people in Zoom video conferencing management, maybe the people in Amazon management. Um, I think those people are exhausted and just trying to keep up. Mm. Those people are just, oh my goodness, how are we? The intensity is ramped up. The need is ramped up. The impact is ramped up. Um, you know, people need our hospital beds. People need this hand sanitizer. Like they're just exhausted trying to get it done. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's another way to think those, those same people that maybe have socioeconomic flexibility and power and agency, but their work models have been radically halted or upended. Um, they are incredibly anxious and they are like double down on strategy and striving. What do I need to do differently? So perhaps restaurant owners, small business owners, maybe interior designers, um, people who, uh, you know, maybe something like uh, the small business owner of like an exterminator, um, dentist. People aren't doing their dental work right now. So those people, they tend to be, have some socioeconomic flexibility, but they are completely doubled down trying to figure out how do I operate in this new world and how long is this new world going to go on? Those people are anxious. They're trying to strategize. And then we look at people without socioeconomic margin. They are operating from kind of a marginal survival mindset anyway maybe they have very little power and agency in their decisions and for those who the routine work model is the same but the volume has significantly ignited those people are exploited they've been trying to progress but they're exploited right now they're working crazy hours they don't feel like they have any agency in the decision about their work that might nurses actually might fall into that right now I know nurses are feeling very exposed um, to the virus. They're feeling like they need to be at work all the time. Um, maybe delivery workers for online delivery companies, um, maybe manufacturing line workers for things like the antibacterial hand sanitizers. Those people are feeling exploited. And then on the other end of the socioeconomic challenged, there's a group that their work has been completely halted busboys at restaurants, MBA concession stand workers, 
um, perhaps housekeepers. There's a group of people that are completely destitute and they're trying to survive. So I think for those of us ministering to workers, whether we're marketplace leaders, managers, line managers, or whether we're actually pastors working with the people in our, in our congregations and constituency bases, I think we need to be careful about applying um, one size fits all faith and work messages. So some people are really having their idolatries around influence or comfort or security or wealth blown up. And that's one conversation. Um, their spiritual needs, um, maybe even their material needs are different than someone at the margins who is literally needs um, not a discussion about their work idolatries. They need a way to pay the rent and they need a way to get food on the table. But I think it also leads to conversations about how, no matter where we are in our faith and work, um, you know, existential moment, how we can be loving others, how we can be thinking of our work communities, as well as how our industries impact the world, and how we can be shining light on dark. Yeah, I think this is a really helpful way of thinking about the challenges, and it's, it's helpful in a couple of ways. One is I think it's a really helpful reminder to think that just about everyone's work, with very few exceptions, has been affected. They've all been affected in different ways, and the way we minister to people, therefore, needs to be specific to the need and not a uh, sort of a, a generic approach, because I think our tendency will be to say that there's some group of people that is, is either more deserving of ministry focus or um, or that particular group just as an affinity group, um, you know, I'm, I'm more familiar with or more aware of the challenges. And so I'm going to naturally reach out and minister to those people. And it's helpful to keep in mind that there are lots of people with lots of different needs and we need to figure out how to minister to each of them in the place where they are now and not where they were a week ago, because that could have changed significantly. So I, I appreciate that. I also appreciate that as I'm hearing you describe this, I think some of what we're talking about would maybe fit in the uh, faith and work discussions as we know them. And some of them might fall more in like mercy and justice and community engagement. What I like about what you're presenting is it shows that actually all of these issues are one conversation that if we're not careful can happen in different rooms, you know, around different tables, but really should all be happening in the same room at the same table because they're deeply interconnected kinds of conversations. Or we may make a distinction by class, right? That if you're, if you're working with these kinds of people, you're having this kind of discussion. If you're working with these other kinds of people, you're having a different discussion, but this really brings them all together. I think faith and work theology at its best helps people understand that there's both personal brokenness within them that leads to a variety of problems in the workplace, but there's also systemic brokenness. Um, and that by understanding both the personal brokenness and the systemic brokenness, um, faith and work theology can really lead us to embracing all kinds of things, um, including um, the cultural mandate, which should lead to mercy and justice for the people who do have some kind of agency. And so, you know, an example um, pre-coronavirus is 
um, a publicly traded healthcare company where someone in middle management, so they didn't have, you know, they weren't at the top, they couldn't pull all the levers, but they were in middle management, really um, suddenly saw the opportunity to take care of the working poor through this company. It's a publicly traded company in the United States and he suddenly saw the opportunity um, to take care of the minimum wage worker in new ways. And it turned out to be ways that reduced absenteeism. And by reducing absenteeism, the minimum wage worker was cared for and profitability went up. So if we, if we think about faith and work as an opportunity for mercy and justice work for some of um, the people that we talked about in the less socioeconomically flexible categories or they don't have agency categories. At this time in Corona, you know, I heard of an example yesterday of a landlord that called a small business owner and said, do not pay the rent to me right now. I can do without it. Use that money to, to pay workers and try to keep them employed. Try not to lay off your workers. That is incredible. That is just an incredibly loving response at this time. Um, I heard about a movie. Um, there's an independent movie that um, had planned to launch a lot of independent theaters in the coming weeks. And instead, they'll be launching online. But the independent movie creators and marketers, they, they could go it alone online. And sorry, theaters, y'all are closed. Good luck. They're launching in a way that the price they're paying to see the movie, they're giving a percentage of it to all the independent theaters where they would have been launched. And so really thinking beyond their system of who's the underdog here and how in my work can I care for the underdog? And so I think this time and, and space is on, on one hand, it's blowing up some idolatries of attachments to wealth and comfort and security. And we're realizing, darn it, we, we like to pretend like we're God. <laughs> we like to be God in our work. Yeah, sure, we have a God, but we're the God of our work. That's getting blown up for a lot of people. But simultaneously, it's also letting a lot of people rethink, how do I extend a hand to the underdog? And I think that is a beautiful um, way that this crisis is impacting faith and work. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people who are listening uh, are so early. All of us are so early in this conversation that it's hard to predict what will happen or imagine what will happen, how long certain closures will last and what the impacts of those things will be. And so I don't want to ask you to make predictions or you know prophesy the future uh, or anything like that, but I'm curious, what questions do you feel like pastors and other ministry leaders should be asking right now as they're trying to figure out how to uh, care for the people under their care or supervision in the near term and maybe in the long term. Right. Um, and gosh, as you say that everybody's just trying to figure it out, my goodness. I mean, we've got, you know, people have children home from work, from school. They're trying to get their assignments. People are fighting over Wi-Fi and that's for the privilege that are getting to work. So I don't think that people by any means have stabilized kind of enough to even know which end is up yet. But I mean, this is probably stating the obvious, but the first thing the pastors need to be asking is um, who has dire provisional needs because of loss of work? Hmm. And what are we going to do about that? How are we going to rally around that? 
Um, and then second, whose work is so significantly changed that it's creating um, pastoral on-ramps that we need to work with them on. And so it could be loss of community. It could be um, complete upending of idolatrous attachments. And we need to be speaking to God is still faithful. Um, God is still God. Um, even though we've lost control, um, we only <laughs> we only had the illusion of control. There was never control. Um, pastors need to be helping them understand. And I, you know, I'm lifting this off of uh, Tim Keller's um, live stream last night about suffering. Um, um, that suffering is unjust. Suffering is real. And we need to be trying to understand what is the suffering in your work now. So part of your suffering may be a complete provisional suffering. I cannot work. I cannot get my kids fed. Goodness, let's rally around that first. But then the next level of suffering is around um, losing control, losing comfort, losing security, losing routine. Um, how can we help people learn how to cry out about that suffering, but turn to God in that suffering? To see God as, as God, to see God as the ultimate provider, to see God as our number one attachment. Yeah, that's excellent and very helpful. Let's toggle focus a little and say, what about people who are, uh, they're not in vocational ministry, they have potentially some uh, means to be of service right now to people who have less means, what should they be asking themselves right now? Yeah, so I'm going to kind of put that in two camps. One is you might not be in, you might be in marketplace, working in the marketplace, and you might be under incredible business duress. So you might own a chain of restaurants and the doors aren't open and you're under total duress and you are like completely anxious and trying to strategize um, versus someone who is a little bit more business as usual and things are going well. Um, on, the, on the first group that are completely over the top stressed um, and not sure which which step to take next. First of all, I'm, I'm again going to uh, paraphrase Tim Keller because why reinvent the wheel when someone <laughs> reinvented it. Um, you know what? Weep, but trust. Pray, but think. Hmm. And really think about reordering your loves and your hopes. Um, to the group that has maybe a bit more um, agency and has their nostrils a little bit more above the waterline, I think those steps are still the same. Um, but look around and, and for the other group too, look in your exact vicinity of the industry you are in at this point in time and the people that you have an impact on this point in time. Um, and where can you be um, God's heart, hand and feet? And so thinking of those film, that film producer sitting in that room thinking, okay, we're not launching at the theater anymore. We are now launching online. We're going to do all this social media. We're going to offer it for 48 hours online. We're going to have a launch night. Everybody's going to um, sign in and see this movie at the same time and run these side conversations. Yet someone in the room said, what about the theaters? The theaters just lost all this business. How can we give them a cut in it? 
And so I would say, if in every conversation, we could stop and say, who is the underdog in the work? And is there a way to think about the underdog? As well as what is our industry's role? So if you're in the finance industry, your industry's role is redistribution of resources. How can you think, and God is a redistributor of resources. How can you think about finance and redistribution of resources in a godly manner at this time? So I guess there's just a personal response and then an industry response. And if you are, if you are one of the lucky ones whose you know, nostrils are above the waterline, can you take that point of view into your workplace? Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you so much for that, Missy. Um, I'm curious, I always like to end these conversations by asking if uh, there's anything I didn't ask or that didn't come up that you just really want to make sure that um, you leave people with before we wrap. I think as we go forward, um, the burden of a disease and a viral disease most often hits the poor greater than those that are not um, materially poor. And that's because of living conditions, that's because of nutrition, that's because of underlying issues, and that's, that's documented. So I think those of us um, that are not impacted by the disease and do have some agency in our work, let's just be a little more cognizant of what's going on at the margins. And this is a great, time to think about that in our work but then most of all going forward our religion christianity is a religion of living in the tension of the already but not yet and living in the tension of we know the great goodness that is to come but we're in the tension of it's not quite here yet and i believe that the coronavirus um crisis is making that more evident because a lot of the comforts and the freedoms that are particularly relevant in um, westernized um, democratic societies and so in an eastern um, society or one that's more socialistic maybe that's this is different but where comfort and individual autonomy are idolized um, corona has taken that away from us and I think it's an opportunity to show how we can, uh, I don't know, reveal God in the tension of the already but not yet more clearly and how to care for this world and how to care for people. And our works are a way to do that. Wow, thank you. Missy, this has been really enriching for me and helpful for me and I, I know it will be for others. So thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Yes, thank you. And, you know, to anyone that's listening that's caught in an area of nuance that maybe wasn't covered of this, you know, I'd love to hear about how your work is playing out. I'd love to hear about how you're shining light on darkness. I'd love to hear about how maybe this frustrated you in a way because it didn't, doesn't account for the context you're trying to minister or work in. And you're welcome to email me at any time um, at missy.wallace at redeemercitytocity.com. Excellent. Thank you for that. Thank you.